Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And uh, we're going to try and bring you this podcast in 140 characters or fewer. I don't think that's an accurate description, but we are talking about Twitter today. Yes, we are. Uh, in fact, anyone who knows me knows that that would be impossible for me to express any thought in 140 characters or fewer. Well, you you do it pretty frequently. I mean, you're on Twitter. You have multiple Twitter accounts. Yeah, that's why I have to link like eight tweets in a row for one thought. That's true. You Uh, do that thing. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, But anyway, yes, we're going to talk about Twitter. And for those of you who have been listening to tech stuff for years and years and years, you might say, well, hang on there. I seem to recall back in the dark days, way back before you guys had any idea of how you were doing podcasting, that you tried to tackle Twitter before. And to you, I say, hey, words can hurt. Aw, Twitter was the topic of the 12th ever episode of Tech Stuff way back on August 4th, 2008. 12th Uh, episode. Yeah. And now we're up to almost 600. Yep. But yeah, we we talked in that episode about the technology of Twitter, what, what it actually was. And back then it was in its still pretty young days. And we thought 
now it would be fun to talk about the actual story of the company itself. Uh, right, because in the intervening time period, as of February 2014, which is when we are recording this podcast, Twitter has 241 million monthly active users who send some 500 million tweets per day. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty heavy volume. And uh, if you had asked me back then when we first did the Twitter podcast, if I thought that it was ever going to get that big, I probably would have laughed in your face because at that point I had only been using Twitter for a little while, but we'll get into when we both started using Twitter yeah. as we go through this podcast. That that big, and I do want to say also that widespread because only 33% of Twitter's accounts are from the U.S. Yeah, and that's a big deal. In fact, it's played a huge role in some world-shaping events, actually. And we'll talk about that, too. Yeah. Um, and might as well say, this is going to be two episodes because yep. it's a long story, so we don't want to do a like an epic one and a half hour episode of tech stuff. No. Uh, so we're going to split them up. But the other interesting thing about Twitter and its early days is that it's actually kind of controversial. It's not just a simple story. Uh, if you go and look at most of the uh, the accounts of the early days of Twitter, you hear about three co-founders. And that would be Jack Dorsey or at Jack on Twitter, uh, Evan Williams at EV or at Ev on Twitter, and Christopher Biz Stone or at Biz on Twitter. So uh, that that's like the official story is those are the three people who co-founded Twitter. But if you look into it a little more deeply, you'll see some other names pop up, other people who were instrumental in the early days, including someone named Noah Glass, who, according to at least some people, should at least be considered another co-founder. Um, and we'll explain, you know, the whole controversy behind that story, too. It's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, this was all stuff that I was completely unaware of back when I did the first episode of Twitter because uh, not a lot of people were talking about the actual early days. In fact, a lot of people were skeptical that this thing was going to stick around for very long. Uh, sure. It wasn't so big yet that people had started to really do these sort of interesting uh, inner looks and mini biographies and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it, it hadn't been around long enough for it to really accrue much of a story at that point, uh, unless you had been at South by Southwest and then thought that it was the most amazing thing in the world. So the story of Twitter actually begins with a different company called Odeo. And Odeo uh, was a company that was looking into creating a platform for podcasting. And it was kind of similar in a way to Twitter, because in the early days of Twitter, it was very much focused on using your phone to send out messages. Uh, Odeo was looking at creating a, a product that was more about allowing you to create a voicemail message that would then be converted into an MP3 file and hosted on the web. So you could create a podcast that way if you wanted to. You could actually dial into this and create a, a long message that then would be converted into an MP3 and hosted. And they thought, well, this is a great way of getting giving people the power of broadcasting. They can actually sit down and do exactly what Lauren and I are doing right now. We're talking into a microphone, and we're having it recorded, then we can broadcast it out. And uh, there were some problems in those early days with this product. One was that uh, it launched in 2005, just a little bit before another big podcasting product launched. Just iTunes. Yeah, iTunes, the the platform that defined podcasting in those early days. Now, these days, you can obviously get podcasts through lots of different programs, lots of different podcast catchers. But iTunes, for a very long time, was pretty much the only game in town because so many people subscribed to it that everything else was like a teeny tiny slice of the pie. And beyond that, the other story was that 
all these people at Odeo were saying, you know, we work really hard on this product all the time, but none of us are using it. Yeah. Bad sign. Right. So if you are not, if you are an engineer and you're working on a product, you know, and you're not using it, that's what Google calls uh, dog fooding, where the, hmm. the, the people over at Google use the products that they're working on. Um, if, if no one's doing that, that's a bad sign and suggest that perhaps you won't be able to find customers either. So while all this is going on, I mean, it was clearly a stressful time at Odeo. There were some other people who had ideas for potential other uses of, of SMS technology, that short messaging service technology. Right. Uh, including uh, a Mr. Jack Dorsey, as I recall. Uh, yeah. All of all of the people that we mentioned at the top of the show as being these these founders or controversial founders of Twitter were involved with Odeo at the time. Yes. Yeah. In fact, some of them actually had come over from Google. Uh, Evan Williams was the founder of a little program called or a little service called Blogger, which yeah. got acquired by Google. No big. Made him a multimillionaire. He then uh, left Google to be one of the co-founders of Odeo. And the uh, CEO, I believe. Yeah. And Biz also was with Google before Odeo. Uh, and Jack Dorsey was a web developer. And so... And uh, Mr. Noah Glass was the one who had come up with this technology that um, that created that platform. Yeah, exactly. And so Dorsey had this other idea. And he had been kicking it around for a while, actually. He had this idea of allowing people to share just a really brief status update, just kind of like what's going on with their life at that very moment. Uh, Twitter was almost called status. That's S-T-A-T dot U-S, in fact. And and Dorsey's talked about how fond he is of those kind of little kitschy uh, web naming. Yeah, where you can where you can make the the top level domain be the completion of whatever your product of name the word, is. Right. Um, yeah. But he, he says that he had first come up with the idea way back in July of 2000, just a couple months into his use of LiveJournal, which was a pretty new thing at the time. Yeah. Uh, oh, live journal. <laughs> uh, his concept was to make a, and I quote, a more live live journal, real time, up to date, from the road, akin to updating your AIM status from wherever you are and sharing it. So he was looking into, like, this is a great idea. I know this is a great idea. This is going to resonate with people. People are going to be addicted to this. I just don't know where to put it. I have no idea where. Yeah, he toyed with implementing it in a whole bunch of different bits of software that he was working on and his cohorts at Odeo were working on. And it just kind of didn't take off for six years. Yeah, he eventually was able to talk to Noah Glass and explain the idea in a way that Glass was able to to latch on to it. In fact, if you read interviews with Glass and with Dorsey, uh, they talk about how it was this kind of crazy take the guy out to lunch and explain it. And then, the guys, yeah, but why would anyone want to do that? No, 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 no. Seriously, people are going to want to do that. Yeah, but uh, but why are people going to want to do that? And eventually Glass saw the light, you know, something switched on in his mind. He said, yeah, this oh, is, yeah. we could totally implement this. We could create a system where you could broadcast out a message to a network of people who follow you. Why don't we do that? And so um, Glass ended up kind of becoming the chief evangelist of this idea, this product idea, which still was not an official thing with Odeo. So they decide, Dorsey and Glass, along with a, a third fellow uh, named Florian Weber, to present this idea to the uh, business owners at Odeo. So Evan Williams and Biz Stone and kind of say, look, this is an idea we have for a different kind of product. Uh, we think that there's a lot of potential here. Our podcast platform doesn't seem to really be going anywhere. 
why don't we do this? Because otherwise, what is our company going to do? Right. And that was in February of 2006. And the product that they were that they were recommending was specifically called Twitter. And that is spelled T-W-T-T-R. Yeah. Yeah. Because every single character space is valuable. So get rid of those vowels. Right. You know, I've uh, actually I've actually seen some uh, tweets that are written in the style as if they were all following that philosophy, just dropping all the vowels. It's it's frightening how well you can start to read those once you practice a little bit. Oh, sure. Yeah. The human brain is terrific. Like Still that. don't understand that tech speak that the kids are all crazy about. Lols. Yeah, lols. Uh, so anyway, yeah, February 2006, this idea gets a little bit of traction. And while the response was not immediately, this is what we're going to do from here on out, uh, essentially Glass and Dorsey and Weber got the go ahead to start working on this product. And so they did, and they, they began to launch it very gradually once they started building the actual uh, uh, technology out. In fact, Glass says that for a while, he was running the entire service of Twitter off of his laptop. Like, wow. It, it wasn't a server. It lived on his laptop, and his laptop had to be on and plugged in and everything, and everything was funneled through there. And if you're not really familiar with especially the early days of Twitter, keep in mind, we're talking 2006. That's before the iPhone comes out. So this is before smartphones. We're not talking about an app that allows you to uh, to look at Twitter and follow back on that. Uh, yeah, this was all based in SMS. Exactly. Just text messages, the same sort of stuff you would use if you were to text a friend. So uh, you could either dial in a, a special number and send a text to that number, and then it would just broadcast out to all of the people who follow you on Twitter. Or you could post on the web client. You could go to a web page which, you know, people still do occasionally. They'll still go to the Twitter webpage and type stuff in online on their desktop. But there wasn't any kind of smartphone app interface at this point. So it was really early days. Uh, so Glass was put in charge of this project. And um, they kind of worked on this for a while until about March 21st, 2006, when the service was actually ready to support a tweet. And that's when the very first tweet was written. Uh, it was sent by by Jack. Yep, at Jack, Jack Dorsey. And mm-hmm. uh, and here it is, guys. I mean, if you this rivals the first video on YouTube for like colossal importance. Jack's first Twitter was just setting up my Twitter. And that's Twitter T W T T R. You know, like we said earlier. There, there's a period in there too. Oh yes, yeah. He did. He did use the character of a period as well. So, um, yeah. So if you when I made that YouTube joke, that's for anyone who remembers that the very first video ever uploaded to YouTube was a day at the zoo. (laughs) It was one of the YouTube founders taking a video at a local zoo and then uploading it. So, yeah, sometimes these these things that end up having world changing uh, uh, reach start off kind of modestly. It's the whimper instead of the bang. Yeah, but that's but that's okay too. And uh, in case you're wondering, like, what else is going on around the same time that Twitter first starts to to uh, to be active? Facebook at that time had just earlier that year set up their uh, public uh, entry into Facebook. In other words, you didn't have to be a college student to get into Facebook at that time. They first started opening it up to a few private companies. That, so if your if your email address had a certain type of private company mm-hmm. address in it, 
you could join. And then eventually they opened it up to the general public. Yeah, well, well, in, in April of 2006, right, they, they started opening up that registration. Right, right, right. College students. right. So just, so just, just after, a month or yeah. so after Yeah, Twitter. you're right. But, mm-hmm. After, not before. Thank you, Lauren, for keeping us honest. Uh, but yes, so this is early days in the social networking world. Now, granted, even in those early days, Facebook still had a pretty decent head start because. Oh, yeah. It's not like they were new at that point at all. Yeah. They, they had had a lot of colleges involved in that program. And at that point, they had something like six million users. Uh, Twitter, after a few months of it being live, had fewer than 5,000 users. So big, big uh, gap there, you can you could say. Oh, although people were interested in it. In July 2006, there was a really interesting coverage of Twitter from TechCrunch, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, Michael Arrington uh, wrote about it. And uh, in the, the article, they talked about it being a group send SMS service. So again, this idea of being able to broadcast out a message to your friends. Now, this is kind of interesting because if you think of what Twitter has become, it's a little bit different from what was a what it, how it was first envisioned. Like back in the day, it might have been something like you want to hold a party on the weekend and you're like, who wants to go to this pizza party thing I want to throw? And you just send it out to everybody. And that way you don't have to individually send out text messages to everyone. To you all know. those people. Right. And that's really how everyone was billing Twitter as being, you know, this is this is the way that Twitter should be used. It totally makes sense. But it's interesting because the way people actually use Twitter would end up being very different from that uh, in, in various ways. I mean, a lot of people like to tell you what they're eating still to this day. That was a big joke on Twitter for a long time, but it's I did it recently. <laughs> I took, a, took a picture of a delicious omelet idea <laughs> and had to send it out. But um yeah, so and then of course we're using it now for news and we're using it to uh to follow celebrities or even interact with people that we admire when ne- you never would have had that that conduit open before. Or or, or for just up to the minute um networking with with all kinds of people who you might have never had a chance to talk to. Oh yeah, I I've, I've actually been contacted via Twitter to do cool stuff like to to do a guest appearance on a show or to have people give me interesting ideas for shows that we do. So it's definitely an, uh, evolved. But what's interesting is that none of that was really In touched anyone's upon. mind yeah, at that point. Yeah, right. even Mike Arrington, who is, depending upon your point of view, really good at predicting what's going to work in technology. Uh, he didn't really touch on that in his article at all. He actually did compare Twitter to another service that was called Dodgeball. Now, that I think is a little weird because Dodgeball was more of a location-based service and less of a broadcast a message out service. And Dodgeball would eventually be acquired by Google. Right. Um, it was, it was similar in the way that people were using it for, uh, for a quick, unobtrusive way to get in touch with people about yeah. something small. Yeah. It's, it's related in the same way that you could say like MySpace and Facebook were related in that they, they did similar things, but they had very different approaches. In fact, sure. maybe even more different than MySpace and Facebook were. Um, uh, but those founders after Google bought them out would go on to create Foursquare, right? Yeah. A lot of them left Google. They, I hear a very similar story from the folks who used to be at Blogger and the folks who used to be with Dodgeball in that once Google acquired the company, uh, satisfaction kind of dropped out. They just, it wasn't a good culture mix. It wasn't a mix, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they ended up leaving and founding Foursquare, which, by the way, worked out for them. Um, and then there was another similar service, and anyone who was around in the early days of Twitter probably has heard of this, called Jaiku. 
It's uh, supposed to be the combination of the words uh, Japanese and haiku. It was founded by a couple of Finnish developers, as in from Finland, not that they were done. They weren't finished developers. They were Finnish developers. I'm just trying to explain, Lauren, just in case people <laughs> misunderstand me. Um, but yeah, it used a very similar approach. I mean, uh, it was essentially a, a almost identical service. Uh, and I actually used both for a while. Jaiku, uh, also would eventually get shuttered. It would not, it would not stand the test of time. It was just that too many people were using Twitter and not enough people were using Jaiku. And while the, ser- the services were very similar, there wasn't any real reason to use both. Like, if you Certainly. had one, why do you use both? Especially the limited range that Twitter was operating at the time. It was yeah. really only being populated by um, kind of kind of high-level, well-connected Silicon Valley sort of types. Yeah, if um, if you were around in the very early days of Google+, very similar. Like, I remember I got invited into the Google+, beta, like, within the first week or two that it went live. And for a while, it felt like it was just technology owners and uh, technology journalists. And it was awesome. Huh. Uh, and still, I still very much enjoy Google Plus. But, you know, there's something a little enticing about being part of this exclusive club. Club, right. Uh, I think ultimately it's better that it's not exclusive. But, you know, at the same time, it's kind of cool to be one of the cool kids for like a week. Uh, so <laughs> anyway. yeah, so it's so, a so relatively small scope at the time. And yeah. in fact, the scope was so small that one of the founders would do something shocking. But we'll get to that after we take a quick break and thank our sponsors. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. So, Lauren, you alluded to something kind of uh, radical that one of the founders of Odeo would do. And it, it happened in September 2006. It was something that, again, another controversial decision in hindsight. At the time, it didn't seem that controversial, but now it surely does, which is that Evan Williams sent out a message to Odeo investors and said that he wanted to buy back the company's stock from the investors because he didn't see the company having any real direction at that point. The the podcast platform had fallen flat and Twitter was still a very young service. Uh, right. Only fewer than 5,000 people had registered for the service in the two months that it had been available so far. Right. So eventually, Williams convinced the investors to accept the buyback. And so... Uh, there's not really a, a publicly available figure for how much this buyback cost Williams out of his own money, but the estimations are somewhere around the $5 million mark because that's about how much funding Odeo had received earlier. So $5 million. But now the question, and it, it wasn't the question then, but the question now is, did Williams have any idea how big Twitter was going to become? And did he make that buyback in anticipation for right. this crazy popular service. Was it earnest or was he plotting ahead? And here's the thing. People describe Williams as being incredibly uh, methodical, thoughtful, very quiet, very some would even use the, the term Machiavellian. Uh, oh, uh, but that is quite a term. It is quite a term. Yeah, you know, that's 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 saying something very specific right there. But I think uh, I think everyone agrees that what Williams said was perfectly honest, that the service did have fewer than 5,000 users. So there was no way of knowing at that moment if those 5,000 would ever be larger. Like, there's no way of knowing if, if they would, top, you know, top out at 20,000. But they did know that people were using it a lot. And they were using it, you know, obsessively is probably being too strong. Let's say frequently. Huh. But that that people were... And, and people inside the company were using it. So unlike that, that podcast platform that no one was using, people in the company were using it so much that Odeo had changed its uh, employee agreement to actually pick up their text messaging fees because people were racking up $400, $500 text message fees. Oh, and fees. at the time, that was, a, that was a big deal. That was a huge deal. I mean, no one had unlimited text plans no, back in... No, because, I mean, who was going to send that many texts? And they weren't saying necessarily anything, you know, profound. This was, hey... I had an awesome waffle today, like that kind of stuff. So there was, there's at least some indication that the service was compelling. Whether or not he knew that the service was ever going to take off is, is still up to question. Most people, you know, they fall into three camps. 
they're either in the camp of, oh, he totally knew that this was going to be a big thing and he worked us out of it. Uh, then there's the camp of, I don't think he's, he pushed us out, but I think I wish I had pushed back more. I wish I had realized how big this thing was going to be because I, re- I really would have liked a piece of that. Stayed in, yeah. And then there's a third camp. It's like, no, he was probably being very much upfront and honest, and he hoped that it would become a big thing, but there was no way, no guarantee at the time. Although, I don't know. I, it's Now that I think about it, Williams proceeded to change Odia's name to Obvious Corp. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of, obviously, this is going to be huge. Uh, I guess there's a lot of interpretations we can have in hindsight. But yes, that is true. He did change the name Odeo to Obvious Corp. And he also did something else that, that uh, again, can be a little controversial. He fired Noah Glass. Now, without Glass, I think most people would agree Twitter never would have happened because mm-hmm. Glass was constantly pushing for Twitter to be a real product from Odeo. And he uh, he was championing it. He was working on the product all the time. He was trying to sell it to the rest of Odeo. And, and uh, no one ever made the reasons for the firing public. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's we've we've both heard that Williams and Glass didn't apparently get along very well. It was a personality clash. Very big personality clash in the sense that Williams was this very kind of quiet, methodical person. And Glass is known as being loud and passionate. Some people called him volatile, that he could lose his temper when things were not going very well. And that uh, the the clash of those personalities meant that it was just impossible for the two to co- coincide. They just could not coexist, right. really is what I should say. Although Glass has also said about it that he, he suspects he was pushed out by Williams because he, Glass, originally wanted to spin Twitter out of Odeo. Yeah, he said, the CEO of exactly. the whole program. Yeah, he said that I, I have this idea... Uh, I think Twitter can stand alone as its own thing. I'll be I'll be glad to be in charge of it. And at the time he was thinking, oh, this is no problem because no one else is expressing interest in this product idea. And I'm really interested in it. So I'll take it over. Everyone will be happy. But then that's not the way it unfolded. So, yeah, he he's definitely um, done some interviews more recently where he's kind of, uh, you know, it. I mean, it's clear that he the hurt runs deep there. Uh, The pain mm -hmm. is deep because. He he says that it was like being betrayed by your friends and that he even left uh, San Francisco for a few years, went oh, to wow. Los Angeles because mm-hmm. he couldn't even bear the thought of working in that industry anymore because it was such a painful experience. Wow. Um, he has since come back to San Francisco and has worked on other projects uh, to varying degrees of success. Nothing, obviously, as successful as Twitter has been. Right. Um, over the next few months, the company would continue to kind of uh, slowly and quietly grow. Yeah. Until, uh, until this insane thing happened at South by Southwest. Yeah. March 2007. It, it debuts at South by Southwest. And this is, uh, you know, South by Southwest is one of those conferences that if you are able to make a big splash and get a lot of buzz, you are in a great position because there's so many high powered, executives and employees from various companies who all are very influential in their own right. If they start talking about your product, then you are poised to make a a big splash, at least in the technology sector. It might take a while for that to spill out to other groups, but in technology, you are going to to. <laughs> You're going to perform like gangbusters. Yeah. And, and it won their web award that year. Yeah. So, I mean, they they definitely made a strong showing. And, you know, I hear 
tales about that South by Southwest, about people, you know, immediately getting addicted to this service, Twitter. Yeah. And, and all joining their own, like everyone at South by Southwest created their own little, you, you know, right, exclusive bunch, club. A whole bunch of little people just sitting around in rooms tweeting yeah. at each other. So then next thing you know, you know, like the CEO of Twitter is getting messages from the CEO of Facebook, who's also getting messages from, you know, it's and it becomes like this kind of crazy uh, exclusive club. And it did a lot to raise the awareness of Twitter. Although even at this point in 2007, uh, I had heard of it, but knew nothing about it. Right. So I, I was largely ignorant of what Twitter was at this point. I think I had one friend who was on Twitter who was talking about it being really cool, but I was kind of like, oh, whatever. I really can't handle having another social media thing right now. Yeah. I mean, I was still busy on MySpace. I didn't join Facebook till 2007. I did so much live journaling. I actually did do live journaling, too, now that I think about it. But, yeah, uh, so uh, April 19th, 2007, that's when Twitter uh, incorporated, right? Right, right. They spun off of Obvious Corp that month into their own separate company. And, yeah, so just a, like a month, maybe a month and a half after South by Southwest. So at this point, you could probably hear Noah Glass crying out. Cursing the heavens, <laughs> yeah. It'd yeah. be pretty bad. Uh-huh. Uh, and then only a couple months later, they would hold their first round of um, venture capitalist funding. Yep. And uh, the estimated amount, because again, this was you know a private company, so they don't have to release their figures to the mm-hmm. public. Uh, but the estimated amount of money they raised was around $5.7 million. Oof. So already right on par with what Odeo was raising back in the day. So the company that, you know, Twitter originally was just going to be a product of Odeo. It wasn't going to be its own thing. And now it's until it definitely was. Yeah, it's already rivaling the company that that's that spawned it. Working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. 
You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Uh, another big happening in 2007 in August, um, the hashtag debuted. It was suggested by user Chris Messina um, at Chris Messina, who suggested it in, in a tweet. He just said, how do you feel about using pound for groups, as in pound bar camp? And then message, which made it way easier to search for specific things on Twitter. Now, at this point, Twitter didn't even have its own uh, uh, incorporated search. You could search tweets through other means. Right. Uh, but using the hashtag made it a lot easier because otherwise, if you just searched a, a random term, it would pull up everything on Twitter that had that word in it. With the hashtag, it made it much more easy to uh, to, to find something specific. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a good idea. In fact, that's another interesting thing. I didn't really touch on it in my research, but a lot of the innovations of Twitter come to us because of the way users use Twitter. It's not something that was built by the engineers and then filtered out. It was that people saw ways of increasing Twitter's utility, and then Twitter said, yeah, we should totally make that real, like, huh. official. It's that whole greater than some of its parts kind of gig, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people get a little uh, more cynical about the approach of that, <laughs> more like, Twitter's very good at stealing the ideas that users have, but let's be, we'll be generous. Uh, at any rate, in, on, in October 9th, 2007, Google acquires Jaiku. So you already know the writing's on the wall. Yeah. When Google buys your company, that <laughs> seems to be, I mean, it's a joke, but it's also, it, if you look at the, the number of services that Google has introduced and then look at the number of services that Google has, uh, eventually closed the doors on, it's, uh, it's a, it's not a great batting average for Google. Right. It's not like there are a ton of uh, of services that were around back then that Google introduced that are still around. They, they, they tend to cannibalize a little bit and steal little bits of companies and keep the, the, the people and the services that they really like and then kind of go bye yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah, you so. might see some of the technology incorporated in some of the other stuff like Google Docs keeps getting more and more uh, um, advanced and complex, partly because some of those features were cannibalized from other services. At any rate, uh, people debated for a while which service was going to win out, Twitter or Jaiku. But Twitter already had a head start with users. It was much better known in the United States. It had gone through that explosion thanks to South by Southwest. Yep. And so it would uh, be a few years, but eventually Google would announce it would stop supporting Jaiku, closing it down in January 2012. So it, it did stick around for a really long time, longer than I thought it did. It wasn't until I did this research that I realized that it was still around as late as January 2012. I thought it had Oh, yeah. I have no idea that. either. 
Um, but but uh, around around this time in late 2007, Twitter had all of eight employees still, and and they were still very much in development despite all of this terrific success that they were finding. Throughout the course of the year, it was offline for a total of nearly six days for maintenance and overload of servers. Yeah, in fact, um, that also became a running joke, especially in the early days of Twitter, about oh, yeah. how frequently is Twitter down as opposed to, you know, what's going on on Twitter? Like, mm-hmm. is Twitter still working right now? Uh, would be a joke. And, you know, it would continue to be a joke for a while, but yeah. we'll talk more about that extensively, actually. Yeah. So... Incredibly important day in right. Twitter's history. March 25th, 2008. Monumental day for Twitter. That was when I sent my first tweet from the John Strickland account. At John Strickland, that's me. Uh, and I, I wrote the article. Uh, here's the tweet. It says, you know, I wrote the article on how Twitter works months ago, and yet I'm just getting into it now. And uh, since then, I've written about 15,000 more tweets. Oof. Mostly about what I was eating. <laughs> April 2008, one of the most famous tweets is sent in that month. And we're talking about actually famous, not... Not joke famous. This, right. This is for real, yes. from a person. This this tweet affected this person's life phenomenally. Because if it hadn't gone out, I don't know how this person's life would have... It would be very different. Right, but all the tweet said was arrested. And it was from James Buck. And if you remember, that tweet came from James Buck after he had been taken into custody... By Egyptian authorities, uh, he had attended an anti-government protest and was arrested as a result. So he sends out this tweet. His friends see it and then they start spreading the word around. And quit, before you know it, everyone has heard about this uh, this tweet going out and it brings the attention of the United States government to the case. And eventually the outcry pressures the Egyptian authorities to release Buck, who then sends out another tweet. Free. Pretty awesome. So, yeah, interesting, interesting story. I remember when that broke and I I think it was right around that time where I was really thinking maybe this is more than just a way of me expressing any random thought that pops into my head that I can whittle down to 140 characters. Mm -hmm. So May 2008, Twitter holds a round of funding and secures 15 million dollars. Which is interesting when you think this is before Twitter had any sort of business plan that I was aware of. Uh, they well, ma- which, which was part of the joke at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They were, they were raising money, but, and they were spending money, but there was no way of making money with Twitter. Everyone agreed that it was important, that it was useful, that people loved the service. They were willing to spend hours of their day collectively, maybe not all at once, but you know, if you, they add up, they'd, they'd spend a lot of time on the service, but, there wasn't any way of monetizing that at the moment. Yeah, there wasn't even any plan to begin that that they were talking about the public to at any rate. Yeah, yeah. They might have had some ideas about advertising or promoted tweets or whatever, but that was all internal. None of that was was uh, it was communicated outward. Mm-hmm. And so it just became this. The two big jokes about Twitter were, is the service down and how the heck are they going to make money? Why are people investing millions of dollars in this thing that? That so far has no way of making money. Zero way of making money. Um, and, and that, that, that fail rate was so large that the company started its own standalone blog to give users status ups, updates on downtime. Because as anyone who has been kind of addicted to Twitter knows, it's, it's very distressing when, when you when see that down. fail whale. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think 
I think the fail whale might even be retired now. Ah, uh, it is, it is. I've got a note on that later on. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, but, but some, but some introduction to, to the fail whale. I want to do, to do a quick side note. Um, uh, the, the, the fail whale, which if you have never seen it before, uh, is a picture of these kind of cute little birds carrying this cute little whale in, in this, in this net and they're flying the whale over, over the seas. Yeah. And, and it was Twitter's 404 page for a very long time. Yeah. Um, it debuted sometime around, around, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been created by this artist and designer, Yiying Lu, um, who just made it as like a virtual birthday card to send to friends in other locations around the world. She, she didn't even have any intent of monetizing it for a very long time. Um, the, the, the birds, she says, were working against all odds to make the impossible happen, um, in, in her case, particularly being with these faraway friends of hers. But eventually she thought it was cute enough that she put it up on iStock photo, and that's where Stone grabbed it. Wow. And it became so iconic that, I mean, that, that she's had, like, fan clubs and T-shirts and crazy merchandise made. Like, drinks and club events have been named after her fail whale. Yeah, well, I remember when uh, when I first found out that that was the, the term, the fail whale. Like, I, I knew that the whale was the 404 picture. I must have seen it a dozen times before anyone had called it the fail whale to oh, me. Oh, sure, and right. I was like, oh, that is cute. That is cute. So, yeah, back in the day, the fail whale popped up pretty much any time Twitter's servers got overloaded, which but as the as the service began to gain popularity, they brought more servers onto the the whole the whole uh, product, but often the use would outstrip the capacity, especially, especially around in spikes. Yeah. Like any any event that would have a lot of activity around it. So things like you you pretty much knew that your event had made it when you made Twitter crash, right? <laughs> right. So right. South by Southwest was a big one. Because you had a lot of the heavy users of Twitter all in one place at one time, all active. Uh, but other big events, things like the Oscars, uh, Super Bowl, you know, a lot of sporting, sporting events. sporting events, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. CES was another one, uh, a big I can one. Imagine. Yeah, so anytime any, any company had a big announcement, Apple, Apple was famous for making Twitter crash. Anytime Steve Jobs was going to oh. take the stage, forget <laughs> it. Twitter is going to go down. Sure. So, you know, that, that was a, you know, it was a reality for a long time. These days, it's pretty rare to see Twitter not working. They've, they've definitely built out the redundancy and the capacity quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, I can't remember the last time when I tried to use Twitter and it was down. In fact, I can remember more frequently times when I was trying to reach Google services and Google services were down or Facebook huh. was down, but I can't remember the last time Twitter was down. Probably wasn't even that long ago. I just wasn't. A, I just wasn't using it when it happened. But at any rate, uh, in August 2008, that's when the next huge event happens. That's when Tech Stuff's episode on Twitter publishes, which cements Twitter as a real thing. Right. The South by I Southwest mean, thing that was that was pretty. It big. was pretty minor but overall. Yeah, yeah. You know, once Tech I mean, Stuff covers your company. Universe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you know, AT and T was nothing until we covered them last year. So, um, <laughs> we. <laughs> Hubris. So October 16th, 2008, that's when co-founder Jack Dorsey steps down as the CEO of Twitter. Now, he had been acting as CEO for a while, uh, but he ends up becoming the chairman of the board. Meanwhile, the chairman of the board, Evan Williams, becomes the CEO. So they do what I call the old corporate switcheroo. Mm-hmm. They they just uh, switch places. Now, uh, one of the articles I read, it was from the New York Times. It actually cited employees saying Dorsey was not the easiest man to work for. That his he's he was he was brilliant, 
but his leadership skills were, or maybe his personnel skills at the being able to handle personal uh, relationships mm-hmm. over, you know, that it was just rough. That if uh, things weren't going well, it made the uh, employment process um, uncomfortable. That maybe his vision was terrific, but his day-to-day running of the company was less than ideal. Something like that, at least from the employee standpoint, mm-hmm. right? So Williams takes over and Dorsey ends up being the chairman of the board. And, and according to at least some uh, of the articles I read, Dorsey's, uh, Dorsey's change meant that he was no longer really involved in the company in any Practical. day-to-day way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Dorsey was working on some other stuff, too. So we'll talk about that later, because we have reached the point where we are going to conclude this episode. Uh, we are going to pick up and uh, and explain what happens after this switcheroo. A lot of stuff happens in Twitter history. Uh, but, uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for topics that we should cover here on Tech Stuff, let us know. Maybe there's a company you've always wanted to hear about that we haven't covered. Uh, or maybe it's a technology or maybe it's just some sort of trend in technology. Anything is uh, is available. Just let us know. Send us a message on email. Our address is techstuff at discovery dot com. Or you can drop us a line on one of the many social networks that we like to hang out on. One, one of which is Twitter. Hey, what do you know? Huh. Yeah. At TechStuffHSW for Twitter. And we're also TechStuffHSW on Facebook and the Tumblers. So uh, come check us out. Be part of this. And uh, we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.